BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. I'm Lou Dobbs, and it's great to have you with us. We're now only one day from the Title 42 law being lifted, and that means we're one day away from our southern border being flooded with illegal immigrants. I want to begin by bringing in our first guest, the founder of FrontlineAmerica.com. He's the host of Law and Border on Real America's Voice, Ben Bergwam. Great to have you with us, Ben. And for the last two weeks, you've been on both sides of the border in Mexico, El Salvador, and Texas. Tell us what you've seen. Well, thanks, Lou. It's uh, as always. It's an honor to be with you. Um, yeah, I just came back. We were on a, a tour. Uh, we continuously go to different parts of the border, basically trying to show what Kamala Harris, the Democrats, don't want you to see—the real root causes. And um, we were down in Panama about four weeks ago. We we're involved in a shootout with uh, Colombian, the Colombian cartel, uh, known as uh, Cartel de Golfo. And uh, in that case, we actually, uh, one of them was killed by Centerfront, the guys we were with, and two others were apprehended. But uh, these guys control this area. They control the routes from Colombia all the way up to uh, Matamoros into Brownsville, Texas. And uh, they're, they're simply being enriched by Secretary Mayorkas and Joe Biden's policies. Uh, they claim that the borders are closed. Uh, and so right after we got uh, helicoptered out, evac out from uh, Panama, we went back to the border, and uh, about a week a, a week ago, I was down in Brownsville and on the Mexico side in Matamoros, Mexico, uh, again, a stronghold of the Gulf Cartel, um, and witnessed you know, the, the lies. It was actually the day after Secretary Mayorkas announced he did his press conference saying that the uh, border's not open, that they're going to be expelling illegals that come across illegally, that you have to enter legally. Uh, I went down there to see if he was telling the truth, and not surprisingly, uh, as we've seen time and again, uh, everything he said is lies, that they are uh, simply going across the river illegally. And, and to the point where I, I was actually, it just was happenstance, I was there as an excavator on the U.S. side. I was standing on the, the Mexico side, and I heard this, this uh, tractor noise behind me, and I, I look, and there's this massive excavator. And I realized what it was doing was actually clearing a path along the river. So there's places where the illegals are crossing. Uh, apparently, Border Patrol thought it wasn't uh, suitable because they had to throw ropes down to actually help the people out of the water rather than telling them to turn around and go back. They're actually helping them out of the water along with Texas DPS and Texas um, National Guard. And so they decided to, to basically create a landing ramp for the invasion that's coming. And I, I witnessed them actually build this in front of me. Uh, it's about 20 feet wide and, and about uh, 40 feet up the banks, and it just makes it very simple once they cross illegally to, to walk on in. We went into the town of Brownsville and witnessed the downtown being completely overrun. Um, we tried to confront one of the NGOs that's down there. It's called Team Brownsville. It's a communist organization, leftist organization that's being paid for at taxpayer expense, and they are simply inviting illegals in. DPS is handing them off to them uh, to the tune of uh, upwards of 2,000 a day now. 
and they are putting them on buses and planes and shipping them around the country. Uh, we followed that up by I was just in El Pat or in El Salvador, and, and we just got back from that trip. And so it's it's been wild, but it needless to say, the bottom line is everything that's coming out of Washington D.C. is a lie. And when Title 42 goes away, it's going to be even a bigger disaster than we've seen, which what we've seen so far is the most unprecedented uh, invasion we've ever seen on our our shores. So one of the many things that you just said that troubles me is uh, it sounds like the Texas Department of Public Safety uh, isn't on that line to hold back illegal immigrants uh, crossing, uh, but rather to accommodate them uh, and to provide for their safety. Is that a fair construction? Yeah, in fact, uh, well, I, I, there's two there's two parts to it, and I'd say the the what we've seen on the southern border from especially or particularly from Texas and Governor Abbott, um, the one thing that has been effective and needs to continue uh, is using DPS on the interior. So they the DPS, if you go down to the border uh, within about 100 miles of the border, you'll notice DPS lined up along the highways and freeways, and they are they are participating actively going after smugglers and so anybody who's come in illegally that hasn't been apprehended at the border uh dps is being used to go after these guys they're they're catching hundreds a day um if not more some days and you know it's a massive massive operation again being orchestrated by the cartels the problem is now we have uh governor abbott using national and primarily national guard sometimes it's dps but almost always now it's national guard texas national guard uh, being used basically to not repel the invasion, but simply to to accelerate it or uh, backfill where Border Patrol is is unable to process. And so w- what they're doing, and we actually witnessed this, we have drone footage of, of them, of the National Guard, throwing a rope down to the illegals that had just crossed the river and helping them out of the out of the water. So rather than actually repelling them, which you would hope, you know, Governor Abbott has said, that this is an invasion. He's used the words invasion, but rather than repelling it, he's actually, if, for lack of a better term, aiding it. Uh, they're, they're using our National Guard troops to invite them in to help Border Patrol process these illegals, uh, many of them fake asylum seekers, you know, being taught. And, and by the way, that or, the one organization I mentioned, this is the same for almost all of the NGOs that operate in Brownsville. They operate on both sides of the border. So they're training people on the Mexico side how to game the system, the right words to put in their application so that when they get across, they, they don't get immediately expelled. And then they get put into the pipeline of these NGOs who then end up finishing the smuggling for the cartels and sending them in. But while that's all happening, then you have the other guys that don't want to get caught that are running the drugs, running the human trafficking, the sex trafficking further up the border uh, in different areas. And then that's, again, where DPS does play a part and catching some of those guys, but all, all in all, uh, it's burning money. I mean, we're we're simply burning money because the Texas and the federal government is doing absolutely nothing to stop them from coming over in the first place. And so, I've got to ask you a question about who's there to watch along with you, to observe, to report. Uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, NBC, ABC. Uh, are all of the networks and the big, uh, uh, well, I'll call them uh, left-wing papers, are they there? Almost never, uh, unless there is a, you know, unless it's a photo op for 
when when Joe went down to uh, El Paso and and you know walked along the border. Other than that, you almost never see them. Um, I haven't seen them. Again, I was just down there a week ago, and the only the only news networks I saw were locals. It was us and local news. Um, you almost never see the you know the big uh, alphabet. ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, CNN, any of the other leftist propaganda outlets. And I, and I, you know, I believe the reason they're not there is because they would end up having to report the reality of what's on the ground. They, uh, and they simply don't want to do that. And their corporate masters don't want them to be reporting the truth, so they're keeping them out of there. Uh, that's a decision, an editorial decision. That's a business decision by these networks uh, and by these papers. Well, the Washington Post, uh, the New York Times, obviously, uh, you call them left-wing propaganda uh, outlets, and I think that's exactly right, based on what uh, on what they're reporting over the course of the last five to ten years. It's been a complete uh, a complete investment. Uh, in propaganda. Well, I, and, if, and if I can add one thing to that, in, sure. in particular, perfect example, uh, when I was down with my colleague Oscar Blue, we were down in the Darien Gap. We actually went across the Darien Gap from Colombia to Panama on our first trip, and then we were halfway going back across when we got in a firefight. We found out when we were down there that the New York Times had actually been there. They had been to the villages on the uh, uh, very near the Colombia side of the border, the Guna Indian tribe, they're indigenous to the, the area. Uh, they live, you know, very primitively, uh, hunter-gatherers, fishermen, um, and and live off the land. Well, their land, we found out that they had New York Times had been there and reported almost nothing of the reality of the, on the ground. These are, you know, the, the very people that the left claims to care about: indigenous tribes, the environment, all of this, uh, being absolutely destroyed by the open borders policy, by the this invasion that the cartels and the NGOs are profiting off of. Uh, and to the point where we were actually walking on beaches down there that had more trash than sand on them, on the very same beaches that the New York Times had been to. And in that case, they just refused to report the, the truth of it. And they simply make it this humanitarian issue that it's our fault that this is happening, ignoring the fact that we actually we, we filmed the United Nations handing out condoms and birth control to women and children before they went across the Darien Gap because they know they're going to be raped along the way. So these these organizations aren't only. Uh, you know, it's not omission. They know exactly what's happening. They're complicit in this. And and to the point where, you know, we they talk about humanitarianism. President Trump's policies were the most humanitarian, most compassionate we've seen on our southern border because he actually said, stop. He said, don't don't sell yourselves to the cartels. Don't allow your children to be raped or stolen from you or murdered. Uh, do it legally. And what we have going on right now is the exact opposite, where uh, the these organizations that claim to be compassionate claim to be charities are actually not just profiting themselves, but profiting the, the most evil among us, the cartels. And we have media that is complicit in covering it up for them. Well, we we have also two political parties that are not doing a, a, a damn thing, to put it in straight up English. Uh, and have the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, this is something new. This is unprecedented what Biden and his regime are doing because they're Marxist Dems uh, who are leading that party. And uh, the Marxist Dems are running this president, this White House and these policies. Uh, we have right now been, in my opinion, we don't have a constitutional republic. It's been suspended uh, and made and made uh, simply a. Uh, absolutely inert uh, by this administration. Uh, he's Biden uh, functioning as a despot. Uh, he's not even pretending to consult with Congress on any of the 
unilateral moves he's made, opening the border and flooding uh, this country with illegal immigrants. The estimates are anywhere around seven to ten million over the course of the next uh, this next year. Uh, and, and it looks like what you're describing. It sounds like they're going to do better than that. Uh, what do you what do you anticipate uh, in the days ahead? Yeah, it's it's uh, going to be worse than we've ever seen it. Title 42 ends to, uh, on the 11th, and I anticipate the floodgates being opened even more than they already are. Uh, they say they're going to be going back to Title 8. I think the only thing that's going to change the the current trajectory that we're on is if they see the their political decisions impacting the 2024 election. I think that's the only thing that they care about. And if they see that start to happen, if they see the Democrats begin to be even, uh, you know, as irate as they should be, as all American citizens should be about this. Uh, that's the only thing that's going to change it. But the problem is the Democrats, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, Mayorka, Secretary Marcus, they're all controlled, not not by the Democrat Party, but by the radical leftist, uh, you know, the Marxist henchmen of the, yeah, of, of the Democrat wing. And, and that's who really controls it right now. They're for totally open borders. They're for no stop gaps at all. They're for no checks for anyone. Uh, and that's that's what's leading the border push right now. But you mentioned it. It's not just the Democrats. It's weak. I call them limp noodle Republicans. You know, we have the House. We have supposedly we have the purse strings. And that's the one thing. If 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 they did one thing right now, the Republicans could do this and stop much of what's happening right now and simply defund these leftist NGOs, these non-governmental organizations who are contracted to basically operate as a surrogate for the federal government to transport all of these illegals. They should defund those organizations immediately, and they should begin investigations into these, these organizations' involvement with the cartels. We also need to investigate our, the, the politicians in America, people like Veronica Escobar in El, uh, El Paso. Uh, we know Mexico is controlled by the cartels. It's basically a narco state. What we also know now is America. Many politicians in America have been corrupted by the same cartels. And the, the question is, why aren't we doing any investigations? Why aren't there any prosecution? Uh, we spend so much time wasted on things that really don't matter. That's where we should be focusing our en- energy. But as you mentioned, we hear almost none of that from the Republican Party. Well, it's a it's a shame. And this is a, a dark era in American history for so many reasons. Uh, the public trust very few of our institutions and uh, with good reason they trust very few of them uh, we have a uh, we have a a lot of work to do to restore this great constitutional republic of ours ben i appreciate everything you're doing i want to ask uh, the last time we talked uh, we saw nearly all men crossing young men uh, crossing that border uh, very few families. What is what is the situation in that instance? Are we seeing any families at all, or is it still mostly men being distributed all across, young men being distributed all across uh, America? It's still mostly men. Still, uh, the numbers that I'm counting are about two-thirds fighting-age men and, and the families, and we're still getting the reports that basically children are being bought and sold in order to create fake family units. You do have some families escaping places like Venezuela, escaping communism to come here. Sadly, they're coming into a country where the political leaders are pushing our country that direction. But uh, the vast majority of people that I see coming across are still fighting age men. 
Ben Berkham, as always, it is great to, to have you reporting here on The Great America Show. We appreciate everything you do at great risk of yourself and to your colleagues. Uh, and I just want to uh, give a shout out to uh, to Real America's Voice for, uh, for their uh, coverage of these critically important issues. Thanks for everything you do, Ben, and come back soon and stay safe, will you, my friend? My honor, sir, and uh, happy to come back anytime. Thanks, Ben. Well, the investigations into the Biden crime family are heating up. And by the way, make no mistake, the Biden crime family is perfectly aligned with the Mexican drug cartels that Ben Berkman has just been describing for us. Uh, we're going to take all of that up and more with John Solomon. He is the founder and editor-in-chief of Just the News. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Thanks for staying with us, folks. Over the last few months, James Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, has been acquiring Biden family bank records through subpoena. Today, Congressman Comer will be providing an update to where his investigation stands and what will be the next steps of his committee. According to our sources, Congressman Comer has new bank records. These records further implicate Joe Biden and his family in their pay-for-play scheme that was being run while Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. The bank records being released today are in addition to those released in March, showing Biden family business associate Rob Walker distributed Chinese money in early 2017 to these people. First, Joe Biden's brother, James Biden, and then Hunter Biden, and daughter-in-law, Hallie Biden. There was also a payment of $70,000 that went to a Biden whose name was not identified. I wonder who that might have been. We may find out. Congressman Comer will be joining us later this week on The Great America Show to talk about his plans to proceed with his investigation of President Biden and the Biden crime family. Our next guest today is John Solomon, founder and editor-in-chief of Just the News. John, great to have you back with us here on The Great America Show. There's a lot to talk about in regard to Comer's investigation. Just the News is now reporting on a new dimension into the Biden crime family and their corruption. Tell us about it. This is all the great work of James Comer, Jim Jordan, Senators Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson. The funny thing, Johnson and Grassley are in the minority, but they get more done on investigations than the Democratic majority. They keep pushing forward. They're relentless 
And what we're beginning to see, there's two things going on. One of them you and I have covered really well. Uh, that is that with the size of the Biden family influence peddling scheme in the world was much larger. Foreign countries, tens of millions of dollars, and a dozen family members. Now, we're up to a dozen family members that apparently were in on it, according to James Comer. So the, the size of the corruption is bigger and worse than we ever imagined when I started reporting on this with the little Ukraine stories and Burisma back in 2019. But while that's going on, we're getting, uh, uh, for the first time, a very clear portrait of a protection racket, of a censorship racket, of an effort to hide from the American public the truth of what the Biden family was doing. And it goes so far as to perhaps, perhaps uh, involve false testimony to Congress. Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley yesterday put out some amazing evidence. So back in 2020, when people were starting to scratch at Hunter Biden, and we were told that's a conspiracy theory, that's Russian disinformation. We know that's not true now. Uh, uh, Anthony Blinken, about to become the Secretary of State, gave some testimony. He's like, hey, I never had any contacts with Hunter Biden. I met once with him to mourn Bo Biden, the, the President's son's passing. We didn't talk business. I never emailed him. I never called him. There were no contacts between us. And uh, with the relentless work of Grassi and Johnson, they came back and said, well, guess what we found? We found emails to Hunter Biden from you, text messages from Hunter Biden. And oh, Hunter Biden was communicating to you through you, your wife, meaning Blinken's wife, who also worked at the State Department. You gave us false testimony. And yesterday they demanded he preserve all the records of his contacts with Hunter Biden. They said, we can no longer trust your word at this. So now we want the documents. You must turn them over to the Senate. On the House, the uh, same, uh, the House Republicans who have subpoena authority, they're going to target the same documents. Um, Anthony Blinken's in the hot seat, not just uh, because of the letter that he was involved in with Mike Morrell, which we talked about the last time we were together, but now because he may have given false testimony, and that false testimony gave the perception that Hunter Biden wasn't doing anything at the State Department. He wasn't trying to help clients at the State Department. We now know that to not be true, and uh, Anthony Blinken is part of that cover-up racket in Republicans' minds. Another big angle, uh, last night, uh, Congressman Perry, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, very important voice in the House these days. He said, listen, I'm convinced that the Justice Department, the Biden Justice Department, allowed the statute of limitations to expire on some of the offenses that Hunter Biden could be charged with going back to 2014. He references an email I made public two years ago where Hunter Biden's told you didn't pay your money on Ukraine uh, Burisma income, $400,000 you didn't declare. It's three years later, Hunter, you better start paying up. That's called tax evasion, tax avoidance. And uh, that's not on the table right now. Scott Perry said, I want everybody in Congress to start asking did they let the statute of limitations expire so the Biden family could avoid an embarrassment and a legal consequence, another part of that protection racket. Yeah, and, and a great question it is. Uh, and this is a great moment to uh, to take a quick break for our sponsors, John. Uh, you're intimately familiar with that. We love them. <laughs> with this, uh, this architecture. Uh, we're talking with John Solomon, Just the News. We're coming right back with him and much more. Stay with us. We're back with Just the News, John Solomon, and John talking about the dimensions of the Biden crime family and uh, all that is now uh, in question about Tony Blinken and, and talking about going back all the way to 2014, the statute of limitations. Uh, 
and it's important. That's an important year because that, yes. that year, 2014, uh, we also know uh, it was the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. We know that many of those in the 51, the infamous 51 letter from the Intel community, many of them were working in the Obama administration at that time. And how much, the question has to arise, how much did President Obama know and how in the world could they have done all of that with five former CIA directors, 51 Intel veterans, at the behest of Mike Morrell the, uh, to be the acting director of CIA, uh, Tony Blinken, who was serving as Deputy Secretary of State. They had to have clearance from that administration, that White House, that Obama White House, don't you think? Listen, it's impossible for... Uh, a president to have this level of a scheme being run by his vice president's family without someone detecting it, without the CIA picking it up, without the State Department picking it up, without um, whispers in the community. So, of course, Barack Obama must have looked the other way. This is a man who came into office in 2009 promising to have the most ethical administration in uh, history. Uh, I think the legacy of the Biden family scheme is going to stain any promise that Obama made. And I want to point out one piece of evidence that I recently obtained. I obtained this in about the last year, made it public a few months ago, but it goes right to foreknowledge. Remember during impeachment, we were told, all right, Joe Biden did do the, uh, he did fire the prosecutor, but that wasn't because of his son. And his son really didn't impact U.S. policy. That turns out not to be true. There is a famous email I have now obtained in which George Kent, he was the guy with the bow tie during mm -hmm. uh, uh, President Trump's first impeachment hearing. He was one of the uh, Democrat star witnesses in a private email that was classified. It didn't need to be classified, but it was classified to hide it. Uh, in a private email to the ambassador, a U.S. ambassador in Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich, another one of the star witnesses at that Ukraine impeachment, George Kent wrote to Marie Ivanovich, someone should tell Joe Biden, this is as the Obama administration was leaving office, someone should tell Joe Biden his son undercut all of our anti-corruption activities in Ukraine. That was hidden from the impeachment team. President Trump's lawyers didn't get that email back in 2019, but it's so powerful. What does it tell you? Obama's own State Department knew what Hunter Biden was doing and knew it had a negative consequence on the Obama foreign policy. And that's the fact that that got hidden for two or three years. Another uh, piece of evidence and what, you know, a lot of the lawmakers and in, in, on the House are now saying is a protection racket. Another thing kept under wraps so we wouldn't know the full extent of, of the Biden family's corruption and its impact on American policy. The and, and that's and that's fascinating. And it's, as you say, it's important uh, talking about foreknowledge of what is happening. And you and I have some personal experience with uh, the former ambassador of uh, to you. And uh, <laughs> uh, we were amongst those who they wanted to know more about, weren't we? Yeah. I guess it's a nice way to put that. They way. were targeting our social media <laughs> improperly. They weren't allowed to monitor, but they did anyways. Yeah, and yeah. that monitoring word I thought was fascinating at the it time. Uh, let, let's let's turn to uh, again uh, this administration. Uh, Merrick Garland has a hand in so much that is going on, and a quiet fellow. We thought of him as a sort of an avuncular uh, and uh, thoughtful uh, Supreme Court justice uh, potential nominee. Uh, it, it's just he has turned out to be a 
partisan activist of the highest order and certainly a, a capo, if you will, uh, for the Biden White House. Yeah, uh, I think that is one of the big concerns that, that folks have right now. And I think in this moment where Republicans have a real chance to get us to some very deep hidden truths, truths that were deprived of the American people in uh, the 2020 election. Uh, there's a line in the Jim Jordan letter uh, that he sent to Anthony Blinken last week that I really think gets at the $64,000 impact of what happened in 2020. By hiding the laptop as Russian disinformation, by calling the Hunter Biden story a conspiracy theory when it was not, the American people were deprived of making an informed decision about who they wanted to be uh, to be their next president. And they were told Joe Biden was clean and all these allegations were a dirty trick. And it was the other way around. He had a dirty situation in his family and they were lying to us. This moment to tip that so that it can't be mistaken in the 2024 election is right among us. But there are people still sitting in the way. They've got their feet out. They've got their uh, little trip lines up trying to trip up and keep us from getting the truth. We have to bowl over those um, blockades right now and get the American people the full truth so that in 2024, no matter who the nominees are, we have a, a clear picture of who the two candidates are and what they've really done in their careers as politicians. Well, Joe Biden, uh, for one, has much to atone for. Uh, and we now know that he lied in that debate. Sure. We know that Bill Barr, the attorney general uh, for President Trump, knew he was lying and chose to do nothing while choosing to send out uh, FBI agents to the social media and big tech companies for the for the specific uh, purpose yep. of suppressing conservative voices, uh, we know so much, uh, and but the public doesn't share that knowledge because it's almost impossible to get all of that out to 300 million Americans. And listen, Bill Barr has a distinguished career as a lawyer, but I think his legacy as the Trump uh, attorney general will be uh, looked about and say, listen, he aided and abetted, whether willingly or uh, unwittingly, in several really troublesome uh, uh, episodes. And just remember, the censorship machinery that was set up by the FBI in the summer and fall of 2020 out in um uh, San Francisco, run by an FBI agent named Elvis Chan, uh, that was literally sending requests to Twitter every day saying, you might want to cancel this uh, post, you might want to censor this post because it doesn't uh, meet your terms of service. Now, the FBI has no legal authority to enforce the terms of service for Twitter. It was, it was an excuse for censorship. That occurred when the FBI was under the command of Attorney General William Barr. These are things that Barr has not yet been asked to answer for, but did he know about it? Why didn't he know about it if you were in charge? You take a look at that spring, summer, and fall of 2020, and the FBI and the Justice Department was acting in ways that were contrary to American values and contrary to our promise that we don't let the government interfere in elections. United States spies, United States spies, not Russian spies, not Chinese spies, not North Korean spies or Iranian spies, U.S. spies put their finger on the scale of the election in 2020 when they put that letter out. When the FBI was sending censorship requests to the uh, big tech companies under the color of law, they were putting their thumb on the scale too. When they kept the, the word of Hunter Biden's laptop and the criminal investigation that was ongoing from all of us, they deprived us from making an informed decision. And all of that 
came under the command of uh, Attorney General Barr. And that is something that he has yet to be asked about. I hope I get a chance to interview him one day because these are important questions for him to answer. What did he know? When did he know it? And if he didn't know it, should he have known it? Uh, well put. Uh, and by the way, I, I, my phone call is in <laughs> to Mr. Barr's office as well, uh, because I would like to know a great deal, just as you would, about what he was thinking, why he why he conducted himself uh, as he did. Why uh, a month after the election of 2020 did he say uh, that there had been absolutely no voter uh, fraud uh, in the country when there was no FBI investigation or Justice Department yeah. investigation whatsoever to base that statement on. Well, let's, and, let's remember something that came public a year later, but it was on Bill Barr's watch that it was detected. There are uh, two Iranian nationals who were charged in November 2021, but this case was actually cracked in the summer of 2020. Two Iranian nationals who were accused of meddling in the U.S. election in a significant way, targeting Republicans specifically, a foreign influence operation in the United States. Bill Barr couldn't have said what he said if he knew about that case. And we know that that case was briefed. And in addition, we also know that a foreign power actually stole 100,000 voter IDs from a state. Yeah. We don't know the state. But they stole them and they use those IDs to try to influence the election. Those two things alone, which are now irrefutable, they're public, are clear evidence of problems in the election. And Bill Barr didn't acknowledge either before he left office. And a reminder to everyone, the the election of 2020 was a close one. Uh, three states decided by fewer than 45,000 votes cumulatively. We're going to also take a look at another thing that happened in that election as we continue with John Solomon of Just the News, another interesting and disturbing development from the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency. We'll take that up next. These words from our sponsor, please stay with us. We're back with John Solomon, and I want to turn John to, as I suggested, uh, the Agency for Cybersecurity and Infrastructure uh, Security, who, who came out within uh, just a matter of days after the election in 2020 to say it was a perfect election. It, there was just no problem whatsoever. We found out later, we found out later uh, in 2021 in the spring of 2021, uh, uh, yes. that they had made an overstatement. In fact, uh, going forward then to 2022, we saw the Halderman report, which was the most exhaustive and, uh, and I think most uh, credible report done by the University of Michigan professor Alex Halderman uh, in, of the election in Georgia. And he d determined that there were a number of vulnerabilities, at least nine, and that no one could speak to whether or not those vulnerabilities and those electronic voting machines had been exploited. And this was after a year and a half after the election. Uh, we know that, but we couldn't get access to that report. And the reason is a federal judge in Atlanta has it under seal. Uh, your thoughts about that and the way in which it might have contributed uh, to some further troubling concerns about the election of 2020. 
Yeah. So listen, it's uh, again, I don't know yet that we have any evidence whatsoever that votes ever were changed by a machine. But the idea that these machines were perfect, nothing is perfect in America. There are human flaws and there are technical flaws that always affect us. And I encourage people to go to CISA.gov, C-I-S-A.gov and find this. There is a report. It was put out June 3rd, 2022, and it says vulnerabilities affecting Dominion Voting Systems Image Cast X. And it's a report that just says, hey, to all people who use these machines, we are aware of this vulnerability, get it fixed. That occurred uh, on the government's watch. And it was these are vulnerabilities that apparently existed for a while. They weren't detected until the summer of 2022. Now, let me tell you about something that happened in October of 2020. Not in doubt, Dominion confirmed it to us, the Fulton County uh, Georgia uh, elections people confirmed it to us because they turned over the documents to us under an open records quest. Going into the election with large turnout and large early turnout in Georgia, so this was one of the largest early turnout vo- votes that Georgia had ever experienced, about two weeks before election day, Dominion put out a warning to some of the people that use their machines, including in Georgia, saying, hey, the cards that we put in these uh, machines have a limitation. They can only count up to about 10,000 votes. So if you've got a busy, busy precinct and you might exceed 10,000 votes, you got to crack into the machine, take the card out, put a second card in, and we recommend you do that before Election Day so that you don't have delays on Election Day. Now, understand the concern, understand the instruction. In Fulton County, according to the records that were actually released to us, these things were just pulled out of a machine and thrown into a drawer. There was no security, no chain of custody. Uh, it was sort of a haphazard way of dealing with a technical advisory that came from Dominion. Now, does that mean there's some grand conspiracy? No. Does it mean that we didn't have the perfect system in place? We weren't aware to the end of some data limitations to machines. We didn't have best practices to ensure the chain of custody of uh, cards that held Americans' vote totals on them. We did it. And so when people talk about the 2020 election and they called it perfect, that clearly wasn't the case. We had Iranian intervention. We had hacking of voter databases. We had uh, these uh, warnings about the, the machines. Again, that's some grand conspiracy just things that we should be have a better handle on. And the longer we deny these things happen, the longer we don't address them, the longer we allow distrust in the elections to occur or a future crisis to occur that we could potentially prevent now. And I think now at this moment, people are looking at that and, and trying to, I think there is a genuine effort now that the temperatures come down to start to look at these things and come up with rational solutions. You don't have to throw everything out. You don't have to throw the baby in the bathwater out, but hey, they're always going to be vulnerabilities. Let's close them and be smarter and be honest about them. Something we weren't allowed to be in 2020. Absolutely. And the reason I brought it up is not to relitigate Dominion. I've had quite enough of litigation. Thank you very much. But my purpose in this is to do what I wanted to do at the outset, which is inspire an investigation of every aspect of that election. And what I've heard people say is that it's settled. Uh, That was a great election that was perfect. There was no, uh, these irregularities, these anomalies, these vulnerabilities are real relevant because the result uh, was pristine and settled. That was the reality. It is not the reality. And this country needs to go into an in-depth investigation 
with the proper agencies and the proper representatives of the American people to make certain uh, that we know uh, in the very short time, we've got, what, a year and a half now before yeah. we're facing another election. It's got to happen soon. And neither this administration nor, frankly, the Republican leadership uh, on Capitol Hill has been willing to say, we've got to get to the bottom of it and put yeah. this before the American people. Instead, they're treating this condescension, this, uh, if you will, this this slur against the American people through condescension, saying, uh, you know, you're not mature enough, you're not adult enough, you're not in any way responsible enough to know what the problems are and how we need to fix them. I, it's infuriating to me. The public's right to know is just being de de destroyed by both parties. And we knew, listen, it's not possible to have a perfect election. We are going to have mistakes and nothing's perfect. And not being able to address that or to have a fake storyline that just says everything was hunky-dory when people went to a voting machine and, or went to a voting precinct and saw a problem that alarmed them while the observers weren't allowed to see things. Well, that's a problem. Well, the machine, the ballots were printed the wrong size like Maricopa County went to. All of these are mistakes that if you acknowledge them, you can fix them so they're not repeated. But there's been a political narrative uh, controlled by a few to not allow us to have a debate and fix these things. And that's bad for America. Someday this will come around and haunt Democrats just like it's haunted Republicans. And that's no better than it, than it is now. We got to have an honest debate. And there are some states having it, right? Texas, Florida doing things to uh, Georgia, I think has made some improvements. Uh, there are states that are, are, are stepping into the void and doing this. And I think there's a moment ahead, Lou, I'm going to put everybody's uh, calendar. Let's put a mark on the calendar for June of this year, because I think the Supreme Court will decide the North Carolina Republican Party case. This could be a very significant change in how elections are uh, uh, dictated, the rules by which people will vote in the future. The founding fathers gave uh, the means, times, and uh, or, uh, way of voting specifically to the legislatures. Uh, and over the last many decades, that system's evolved so that the courts have a say in it when it comes to things like um, redistricting. And the governor has a say in it, though the governor's not mentioned in the Constitution. If a legislature passes a law like Republicans did in Wisconsin and the Democratic governor doesn't like it, he can just simply veto it and the will of the legislature has been thwarted. If the North Carolina reapportionment case, which is already been heard, and you, there was a lot of skepticism of the role the courts and the governor played in North Carolina. If this Supreme Court rules that the legislative power to determine the means of elections is absolute, meaning courts and um, governors can't get involved, while that's about apportionment, its implications for the 2024 election are significant. There are states like North Carolina, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania that have Republican legislatures and Democratic governors who've been blocking the will of those legislatures to make changes to the integrity systems of those states. If the Supreme Court determines that the legislative authority to determine electoral decisions are the legislatures solely, the courts and the governors can't get involved. These Republican legislatures can uh, do things that their Democratic governors and their courts have prevented them from doing. We could see a lot more election integrity, by the way, just a lot more election common sense get enacted in states where we've had some of the silliest episodes in recent history. I'd really put a mark on that moment. That case in the Supreme Court could be epic and important going forward. I want to turn to some other news, John, that you have for us. You have a new book out, a children's book. Tell us how John Solomon, editor-in-chief, 
came to be writing a children's book. I'm still pinching myself thinking I did it, but uh, because of the great people at Brave Books, who are the answer to all the woke books today and uh, the libraries, the scholastic books, all of the stuff that's getting into our libraries and our school systems, they've created a pro-God, pro-America message for parents who want an alternative. And they approached me and, and you know, we talked over some ideas and I said, listen, there's something that's been bothering me for the last couple of years. I didn't know what was going on. My children are older, so I haven't been engaged in the school system for about a decade. But there's one or two generations of young adults that have gone through the school system in the last 10, 15, 20 years who weren't given the civics lessons that we all had, who weren't told of why America is great, why the Bill of Rights was so essential to the American experience, why the First Amendment was first. In fact, I learned from talking to some of these young adults, including some that came to my newsroom to work for me, that they were actually uh, told by their educators that in some circumstances, government-backed censorship could be good for the larger collective, whatever the heck that's supposed to mean. Now, I thought America was supposed to be about the individual liber liberty that we have, but I was appalled when I heard this. I realized that if I ever get an opportunity, I want to do something to give parents and uh, grandparents, aunts and uncles a chance to counter this message in schools. And so when they approached me, I said, listen, I know what I want to do. I want to, I want to talk about free speech. And uh, they were all for it. And uh, we've created this incredible book. It's got all the things that children between the ages of four and 11 need. They've got a detective dog. Uh, uh, it's got a my son's hamster, and I'll tell you a story about him in a second. The hamster, <laughs> uh, Chunk, publishes a newspaper, and he can't get his newspaper out to the public and warn them that there's an impending flood in the hamster community because a mean old koala bear named Carl, yes, he is modeled after Karl Marx, clogged the tubes <laughs> in the hamster village. Yes, this is what you got to do to do a children's book. Uh, he, clogs the, he clogs the tubes in the hamster village and the newspaper can't get out. Now, of course, the tubes are an allegory for what we just experienced with big tech, with social media. But we bring it down to a kid's level. The artistry is beautiful. The story is really fun. But at the end, there's a lesson that parents and grandparents can sit with their children and go through and explain why this is important in a larger context. And it's been really rewarding. And I'll, I'll tell you how my son's hamster chunk ended up in this book. It's one of my favorite uh, embarrassing moments in life. So uh, my son is autistic. We got him a hamster. He wanted one a couple of years ago. He loves the hamster. My wife and him went away to go visit some family. And I was left with one mission. Just feed the hamster and don't lose him. And I fed the hamster, but I left the cage open for about a minute too long. And Chunk got out. He got, I couldn't find him. I was mortified. I'm like, I'm, there's going to be heck to pay if I don't find him. I was so desperate. I went to the CVS. I got a stethoscope and I, I went along the floorboards until I could locate this guy scratching. I found him in the um, uh, air conditioning air duct vent. I grabbed him. I put him back in the cage. And I thought, whew, I dodged a bullet. Judy and Josh are never going to know. My uh, assistant told Amanda had my co-host on television this story. And the next night on television, she told the world that I had lost Chunk and uh, found him. And then Judy found out and I was in big trouble. So I decided my way of making amends was to put Chunk the hamster in this book. And uh, he turns out to be a fun character for the kids. And uh, I'm just so grateful. Uh, Brave Books are uh, an amazing group of young um, uh, American loving publishers uh, and this month, they're going to give my book away free. If you subscribe to their monthly book clubs, you get a book, uh, a pro-America book every month for your children. Uh, you'll get my book, um, Hidden Headlines, free this month. But great people and uh, one of the most rewarding experiences I've had as a journalist.
Well, good for you, and congratulations on the book. Thank you. I have to say, I, I'm anxious to see the illustrations as well. They're beautiful. Uh, I, because the uh, the word picture you you created there uh, it creates a little nostalgia. Uh, <laughs> my wife is uh, sitting about 15 feet away from me. What was the name of Jason's hamster that got loose? Uh, was it uh, was it Gimp? The Gimp is that the one? What was it? I can't remember the name. We're we're going back a few you, years. By you had a I, moment like this too, huh? But it's the only th the only thing I know that my wife is afraid of, and I'm serious about this: are hamsters and mice. Other than that, she is She's the bravest good, right? woman of all. You know? But anyway, oh, hey, great! Uh, congratulations again. Thank we you, can't wait for it. How can how can folks get the book right now? Can they? Uh, is it ready on Amazon? It is. It's on Amazon. Or the easiest way to go is go to bravebooks.us. Bravebooks.us, and uh, there are all sorts of books. Sarah Carter has one out. Sean Spicer has one out. Um, Cash Patel has two out. He's a, he's an overachiever, and um, uh, but there's <laughs> just great great books, and um, all of them teach a pro America. Uh, value-based lesson while giving kids a really entertaining story. Well, John, I can't wait to get my hands on it. We've got a few grandkids who will be all over it. John, as you know, we always give our guests the last word here on The Great America Show. Your concluding thoughts, if you will. My last word is just a gratitude of thanks for oh, being able to come on and talk with you every so often. It's a great honor. You have an amazing show and an amazing audience, so always an honor to do this. John Solomon, a great American, a reminder to get John's new book, Hidden Headlines, a Seymour Clues mystery, available at ludobs.com and at Amazon and everywhere else that great books like John Solomon's are sold. That's all for us today. Please join us here tomorrow when our guest will be the former head of Customs and Border Protection, Mark Morgan. We'll be talking, of course, about that flood of illegal immigrants about to pour over our border with Mexico. We hope you'll join us tomorrow for that and more. Until then, thanks, God bless you, and may God bless America.